Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 206B of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and tonight we're going to talk about Jarrell Big Baby Miller signing with top rank. I guess popping for steroids just doesn't matter. You chill at home for a little bit, and then you get a multi-fight deal. We're also going to preview the big show tomorrow night on The Zone from Miami. Farmer versus Diaz, Roman, Akhmedaliyev, Paul versus Gibb, and Demetrius Andre. It's going to be a fun show, and of course, we're going to take your calls in a little while. We'll open up the phone lines in about 10 minutes or so. So sit tight, guys. The number two call, 213-287-7787. All right, so we're expecting a lot of calls tonight. So uh, we only have so many calls we can hold in the queue. If you guys get a busy signal, wait five, ten minutes, something like that, and just call right back, all right? Let's get right into this news, man. Jarrell Big Baby Miller signing with top rank. So you guys know the story. I don't need to go into all the details, how he blew a $4 million, I think, payday with Anthony Joshua. Then there were options for fights after that. This guy blew a massive opportunity by taking a steroids cocktail. It wasn't just one drug he tested positive for. It wasn't the first time for Miller. Just blew a massive opportunity. Here we are, not even a full year later. I don't even think it's been a full year yet. And Top Rank announces they just signed this big deal with Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Of course, they're not giving details about the contracts. Top Rank really doesn't do that. You have to think these guys are smart. They did their homework, and there's some fine print in that contract to protect themselves. Because let's be honest, man. Again, this is two-time PED popper i don't know how else to put it so for top rank and not just for them but for you guys the fans if drill big baby miller's fighting he's a heavyweight heavyweight fights tickets are expensive if you're spending hundreds of dollars on tickets if you're flying in from out of town you're buying a a flight or you know train ticket you're driving in town whatever hotel room all that stuff how confident are you in spending all that money in a fight featuring drill big baby miller you're probably not that confident, right? And I doubt that top rank is 100% confident either. So I'm sure there's some fine print in that contract to protect them. Now, obviously, they signed him to go up against Tyson Fury down the line. So as I've told you guys, of course, we're getting a rematch between Wilder Fury in February. The, promote, the promotion on both sides and the network, both sides there on the net, well, it's, they're kind of owned by the same parent company, Disney. They all want to do a third fight. So if the second fight's close, you're going to get a third fight between Wilder and Fury. Win, lose, or draw the next two fights with Deontay Wilder. Obviously, we're going to get a fight down the line between Tyson Fury and Jarrell Big Baby Miller. That's the reason for this signing, obviously, right? And Miller is kind of benefiting from demographics here because demographics matter in boxing. And I don't know how else to put this. I'm just going to be blunt with it, okay? He's he's American, and he's a big, trash-talking black guy from New York. And you got uh, Tyson Fury, who's this crazy, bald-headed, white dude from the UK. They're characters. You put these two together, it's going to make for a fun fight in New York, at least a fun promotion. It might not be the best fight. But down the line, because of demographics – Miller's getting this chance. Let's face it. If Otto Valin or Tom Schwartz tested positive with a steroid cocktail, and that was their second time, they wouldn't be getting this opportunity, right? So, so a lot of this has to do with demographics for top rank, positioning, future fights for Tyson Fury. The smart promoters, they look down the line. And Big Baby Miller's benefiting 
in a lot of ways, uh, just from where he happens to be from and, and, and how he talks and everything else, all that plays a part here. Obviously, they want to do a fight between Fury and Miller at some point at MSG in New York. Now, if Fury beats Wilder twice and he becomes the WBC slash lineal heavyweight champion of the world, well, then maybe that takes a fight between him and Miller somewhere else. But I would assume they're thinking New York, MSG, because he is from Brooklyn after all. So um, sticking with top rank, and, you know, I just talked about the fact that there's issues with Jarrell Big Baby Miller. There's baggage, and they probably looked out for themselves in the contract. You know, Josh Taylor, recently they signed him, and his former promotion was saying, hey, we still got options, right? And some of you guys are asking questions about that. Well, all that noise went away. Top Rank did their homework. They have complete rights now to Josh Taylor's career. But they've already mishandled it. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Josh Taylor has a mandatory fight coming up. And there was a purse bid. And Top Rank didn't win it. Samson Lefkowitz won so he controls or he manages the, the mandatory fighter, and now they're in control of that promotion. Now, I still think Josh Taylor is going to win. I think he's a, a big favorite, and he should be. But apparently, Bob Arum was so invested in this Donald Trump impeachment drama that's playing out on CNN and MSNBC, glued to his TV, couldn't miss a second of it, that they co- totally dropped the ball on this purse bid thing. I don't think this was some evil genius kind of play that they did by purposely losing the purse bid. I think they just got caught slipping. You got to be pissed off if you're Josh Taylor and you got to be scratching your head here. Like, dude, what you just made. I mean, top rank made a multi-million dollar investment. If these multi-fight deals go down the line, this adds up to millions of dollars for, for what they want to do with Josh Taylor. You got to think win, lose or draw against uh, Ramirez later this year. He's going to go up to 47 and he'll eventually fight Terrence Crawford. You've got options here in the USA with him. You've got options over in the UK. So this is a multi-million dollar investment over a series of years. And you'd think you'd turn off the damn TV. We all know, regardless, if you hate Trump or love Trump, I'm completely apathetic to the whole Trump thing. I don't get why people are so extreme on one side with the guy. I just don't get it. It really doesn't matter to any of us or affect our lives. But you would think that you'd just turn off the damn TV and take care of business first and then turn that shit on because we all know how it's going to play out. He's not going to be removed from office, people. This is like a long, boring – this impeachment thing. It's like a long, boring movie with shitty writing and shittier actors, and we all know how it's going to end. It's the most predictable ending ever. So and just Grandpa Bob, if I could give you guys some unsolicited advice – Never let your politics or your religion or anything that you feel strongly about, whatever it is, get in the way of you taking care of business and being responsible for the people that you are responsible for. That should always come first. You take care of business first, yourself, your family, uh, your, your, it might be your friends, it might be your loved ones, your community, whatever it is. You take care of all that shit first, your job. Then you worry about your politics, your religion, whatever that shit is. Business always comes first. And Grandpa Bob knows that. That was a huge, huge drop of the ball right there, man. I just, wow. All right, let me, um, that's it with, with news and notes tonight. I'm going to get us set up here on the phone lines, guys. So let me see if I can do this. 
Uh, it was a struggle last week. Uh, it's going to take here a couple minutes here. All right, 317, you were on Mike? the neutral corner. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? This is Jack Alter. How you doing, man? Jack, what's up, man? I'm so sorry about the damn tech difficulties, man. Uh, we had some issues here. So did you hear all that? Because I saw you were in the queue. Did you hear that? Like this whole yeah, thing? Yeah, I did. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I heard <laughs> sorry about thing. that, man. Well, what's up? What's going no, on? No, no, you're good. Um, Just excited to be on the show. Uh, I bit my tongue in sparring really bad recently, so if I sound like Mike Tyson, that, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I actually Dude, sound like. Dude, I've done that plenty of times. Um, We've all done, In fact, I have a scar on my tongue that healed all funny. I have like a bump on my tongue that I have to go to the dentist to get cut off because I cut it. I had a mouthpiece break, and it like just tore my tongue. And uh, healed all funny. Like, do you have the the mouth guard that like molds to your teeth? Like that that mm-hmm. works. Yeah, That's the one you, I have. use that one, dude. It's it's worth the extra money. So what's up, man? What uh, what you want to talk about? Uh, you know, you know who my boy is, but uh, I want to talk about uh a man who I hope Triple G fights soon, Demetrius Andrade, because he he has a fight coming up. Uh. Uh, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Andre, you know, because I'm on your show. It's your show. Uh, I'm not a fan of Andre, but I just want to know what you think all uh, all around, like the whole everyone avoiding him. Like people are saying, oh, Canelo and Triple G are avoiding Demetrius Andre. I don't it, – it's not – I think they just aren't paying attention to him. I don't think they're ducking him because they're, like, afraid. Like, so what do you think? You, you're the You're the man. You know everything. So what do you Whoa. think? I don't know everything, but, well, here's my opinion, okay? First of all, as far as Demetrius Andre, the guy, he's kind of a weird guy. He's kind of an odd guy. It just just meeting him in person and seeing just the way he kind of talks and acts, he's, he's a little different. And I think that, like, if he ever got a chance to, like, you know, get in front of the public's consciousness, I think he might get some fans just because he's such an odd kind of guy. But as far as him as a fighter, man – Dude, he went pro. I was actually going to talk about this later in the uh, preview, but this dude went pro, I think, in 2008. He's been a pro for 12 years, and he has 28 fights. And not all that is his fault because some people have avoided him, but a lot of that is his fault. Like, he had a fight lined up with Charlo. He backed out in the last minute to sign some deal with Rock Nation that ended up being a terrible deal And now he's with Matchroom, who's one of the best promoters in the sport. He still can't get a damn fight. And you talk about being avoided, right? And I know Triple G is your guy. You know, obviously I'm a big Triple G Mm -hmm. guy too. When Triple G was being avoided and literally could not fight in the U.S. or in Germany because of the litigation he was going through with his promotion at the time, he got busy. And a lot of people don't know this about him. He was literally fighting to make just enough money to pay his team. He was barely making any money there for a couple of years while he had a title. Okay. He was just getting busy fighting three, four times a year. Once he got to America and he was getting paid 500 grand, 600 grand. It's not like he was getting these big checks. That's what Andre needs to do. He just needs to get busy and fight guys. He's fighting Luke Keeler, right? Who Luke Keeler is who he is. Fight him, destroy him pulverize him dominate him look good doing it and then get in the ring three months later and do it to another luke keeler that's what he needs to be doing right now for the next couple years and then the canelos and the golovkins will come 
But right now, he just doesn't command. Why? If you were Golovkin or Canelo, Canelo's got a ton of options. Forget him for a second. If you're Golovkin, you want that third fight with, with uh, Canelo later this year. But also, man, you could go to Japan and fight Murata for a ton of money. You have a mandatory. That's who he's going to fight this spring, the, the Polish kid. So you have all mm-hmm. these other options. Why the hell would you fight Demetrius Andrade to get his title? Who gives a shit? At this point, honestly, who gives a shit? So I think he's a talented fighter, but he hasn't done dick at 160 pounds. He didn't do a whole lot at 154, and a lot of that's on him, man. So you know, people can say he's being avoided, he's being ducked. He needs to just get busy and create the demand. That's how I feel. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I was watching him, um, and, you know, I know Styles make fights, but I was watching uh, – you know, when Sulecki fought Jacobs, he was doing, he did some really good work against Jacobs and he fought Andre and he just got demolished. And, you know, I really want to see Andre lose. And I was watching the Sulecki fight and it was already like six rounds in. I know Sulecki can't punch. So I was like, yeah, uh, Andre won already. You ever had that where you have a fighter you don't yeah. like uh, and he's winning the fight against someone that doesn't punch hard and you know, like he won just from like early on. That's the worst feeling, man. Well, sometimes in a fight, you could just tell. I mean, there's been fights where I've, that I've watched where I predicted it would be a knockout. But after three, four rounds, you could just tell by the body language of the fighters, the, the rhythm of the fight and everything, this shit's going all 12. You know, I don't need, I don't need to watch this. I already know what's going to happen. And I'm talking from ringside. I've, I've been ringside for a lot of fights like that because you see a lot more ringside than you could even see on TV. Although sometimes on TV you see more. But tomorrow night, dude, you know, Andre, if he fights Luke Keeler and that goes 12 rounds, uh, holy shit. You know, on paper, he should be able to plow through this dude. And the thing is, you know, he, he's dominated his opposition recently. But there's also times where he looks lax, lackadaisical and looks awkward in the ring. He doesn't look dominant. He just doesn't have that aura about him. And some of that just might be his personality, but that's how you build demand. Or the zone commentators. Oh my God. Don't get me started on that shit. Dude. My I, gotta... bad. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but the zone commentators are insane. Like Chris Mannix was saying, like, uh, he, he said after the triple G fight, he was like, well, triple G does not want to fight Demetrius Andre. No one, he, no one's going to pick up the call. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, bro, Dude, Chris no Mannix afraid. was even worse on Twitter saying that he was ducking um, Derevyanchenko and now they just fought. So, so I, look, it's not just the zone. It's ESPN with the Tyson Fury lineal shit. I mean, that drives me nuts. The Fox PBC guys, they're, they're horrible. They're all now basically promoters. So that's, that's basically their role now, the networks. They're promoters. So just – What's best to do sometimes is just to turn the commentary off or if they have a Spanish feed, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish so I can pick up on that too. Uh, Sometimes the Spanish commentators are hilarious, but if you don't speak the best Spanish, put on the Spanish feed and watch it there. You'll enjoy the fights a hell of a lot more, man. But uh, Jack, yo man, call back later, dude. Uh, I got another call I got to get to. I appreciate you calling in and staying on the line through all the technical difficulties. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man. All right, brother. Have a good night, man. Yeah, you man. Too. All right. Yeah, you too, man. Bye. Bye. All right, let's see. We got, uh, let me get to one other call real quick. Uh, let's see. What is this one? 601, 601, you were on the neutral corner. What's up? 
What's up, Mike? It's Joel Morgan. How you doing? Hey, Joel. What's going on, man? Oh, not much, man. Just finished supper for the kids in time to catch the show. I wasn't able to call in last week, so glad I could catch you. Yeah, tonight. absolutely, man. Dinner, kids. Uh, just to I'm, not, I'm not there like, yet. I'm not there yet in my life. That's all still a couple years ahead for me. The dinner and kids and all that. We'll be there in a couple years. But uh, <laughs> anyway, man, what's uh, what you got for the show? Well, to piggyback kind of off what you know what Jack was saying about uh, Golovkin and, and Andre and all that, I know you touched on this. How happy are you that Triple G is finally off the mountain and uh, and ditched Big Bear, even if it's just temporarily? Yeah, dude. And, and look, I kind of got into a mini argument with Abel Sanchez about this. I mean, you know, Abel's awesome, and, and I consider him a friend, and and I'm friends with his family members and stuff. But he. He saw some things I said about the high altitude training and he hit me up and was like, Hey man, bring your ass up to big bear and I'll show you how tough this high altitude training is. We had a good convo about it. Uh, it was no disrespect to Abel or to any of the guys that do high altitude training, but I've heard, and, and there's science that goes both ways on this, but I've just heard that for older athletes and let, it's one thing. If you grew up in a high altitude environment, if you grew up way in the mountains and that's kind of just what your body's used to. It's different. But if you go up there for 10 weeks at a time or whatever it is, and then the rest of your time you're on, you know, sea level for older athletes, I've just heard that it's not good for recovery. And um, just not, without getting into the science with the oxygen and the blood and all that, there's a lot of science that suggests it's great to go up there for two or three weeks and kind of do like a mini boot camp. But then you get back down to sea level and you do your regular training and I don't know about you, dude, but the last couple fights with Gennady, later in the fights, he looked fatigued. Now, it could just be him getting old, but I wonder if that high-altitude training and the recovery and everything, this is a dude who's had a long career. You know, he's been boxing at a high level. You go back to the amateurs for like over 20 years, like two-thirds of his life. So uh, I, I just think that this is going to be a good change for him, and I expect him to look really good in his next fight against that mandatory fighter. Absolutely, man. My my only worry is, and I actually rewatched the Derevianchenko fight and the second Canelo fight last week. Just it happened to be on my feed, but that body shot that Derevianchenko hit him with—I mean, he he physically wilted, and my yeah. eyes are bugged out of my head. I've never seen him look that human, and I I hope it's not too late, given that he got off the mountain. But uh, I'm assuming he's going to look a heck of a lot better, and hopefully that'll uh that'll lead into us finally getting that rubber match with Canelo. Cause I still want to see that. I know some people are burned out on it and I'm a little tired of hearing about it, but right. I would just like to see a definitive end to that, you know, one way or the other. Cause the first two fights were just the second one in particular, that is going to age so well. That was such a good fight. Oh, yeah. Dude, we're going to be talking about those fights. The way people talk about uh, Pacquiao and Marquez Pacquiao and Morales, um, just some of the, just, I'm not going to say, yeah, I guess that was the last era. I know Pacquiao's still around, but he, he's just a, a freak of nature. That was the previous era, right? Some of those great trilogies, uh, Vasquez, Marquez, that's how people are going to be talking about Canelo and Golovkin. And, you know, you talked about the fatigue factor with that third fight, that rubber match. I'm with you, you know. I think a lot of people were just sick of hearing about it and sick of all the diva shit and the back and forth, A-side, B-side. But if Golovkin fights the Polish kid, 
the the mandatory, which should be in Chicago, I think, like in April, and looks really good and calls out Canelo. And whoever Canelo fights around Cinco de Mayo, he looks really good, and he calls out Golovkin. Guess what? Everyone's going to be interested again. That's the way it works in boxing. It's what have you done for me lately? And the one thing I'll say about Golovkin, um, I, I still say at some point he's going to get stopped because he he's fought for so long and uh, just the wear and tear on your body. If he continues fighting on for too long, and especially if he moves up to 168, it might shock people, but he could end up being stopped at some point. It happens to everyone that stays around too long. You know what I mean? And uh, Triple G is, is a human oh, being. Oh, yeah. So. He is. I mean, for, you know, he he just looked as close to invincible as, especially with Lemieux. I mean, that that was his, I mean, his peak. I think that version of of Golovkin probably would have turned Canelo into hamburger. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, th- those two, man, Canelo, I mean, I'm I'm not a massive fan of him, but his I mean his talent is undeniable. That dude is ridiculous. Which, I mean, if if we can get Golovkin, you know, not doing the high altitude training, and then Canelo just keeps getting so much better. I don't know if the third fight would be as good as the second fight, but man, I, I would still just love to see that. I would too, and you know, if if it ends up that Canelo knocks him out, let's just say, it's possible. I don't see it, but off a of body shot, because I see uh, Gideon P in the the, the uh, YouTube chat said Golovkin's got a chin, though, of course. But I think that he could get stopped to the body. I really think it could happen as he gets up there in age. But uh, if we get the third fight and Canelo yeah, knocks him out. Yeah, I don't think out, you're going to drop him with a headshot. No, it's not going to happen. But I, I could see a, one of these young guns in their physical prime catching him overextended getting him in the ribs and, and dropping him that way. I mean, kind of like we saw with De La Hoya versus Hopkins, right? But what I was going to say yeah. is with De La Hoya and Hopkins, that loss, did that take anything away from the legacy of Oscar De La Hoya? I don't think it did. He was fighting oh, a bigger God. guy. He got Absolutely caught. Absolutely not. Yeah. So if if that happens in the third fight, then that's what happens. But – I think that you do need that definitive end. And I think 90% of people feel Golovkin won that first fight. So this really would be a rubber match for most people. That's the way I see it. Yeah. All right, Joe, yeah, I got a – I was just going to say – Thank you for I, taking my call, man. Yeah, great, man. Great th- call in. Thank you for calling in, brother. Do it again and uh, have a good night. All right? You too, man. Take care. You too. All right, uh, we got a couple more calls. I'll get to them real quick, guys. Before I get to the next call, though, I just want to do a quick preview for what we have tomorrow night. Thursday, January 30th, there is a UFC Fight Pass card from Washington State that's on, but the big show is from Miami on zone, a matchroom card. Demetrius Andrade fighting Luke Keeler, 12 rounds, third defense of Andrade's WBO middleweight title. If you look at oh, – if. If you look at Andre's resume, man, uh, just you can't you can't really defend it. And again, a lot of it's his fault. Pro in two thousand eight has twenty eight pro fights. That's crazy. Uh, Tevin Farmer going up against Joseph Diaz Jr. for Farmer's IBF one hundred and thirty pound title. Both these guys are uh, similar height, similar length, similar age, and they're both southpaws. I like this fight. I think it has the potential to be a snoozer. But I also think that if you're in the highly technical chess match type boxing, like a boxing purist, this fight should be for you. Uh, fifth defense for Farmer. Fifth defense, man. 
Um, but you look at that rain, it's been pretty lackluster. He's probably, actually, there's no probably about it. Tevin Farmer will be facing the best opponent of his career tomorrow night against Joseph Diaz Jr. Diaz, however, had those 12 rounds with Gary Russell Jr., which I think is going to make him better. And even though I think he's the slight betting underdog in this fight, I like him to pull the upset. I think we could see an upset special. It really wouldn't be a big upset or anything like that, but I do think Farmer's slightly favored. And I think the difference will be the 12 rounds Diaz spent against Gary Russell Jr. I just think that gives him extra experience, extra edge that he can bring into the fight with Farmer. Farmer simply hasn't faced the level of fighter that Diaz is yet. So I think he's at a disadvantage in that respect. Super Chat Pledge on YouTube from D3440. Thank you so much. He he asks, besides Canelo, who could stop Golovkin? Well, look, if Golovkin goes up to 168, I think there's a couple guys that possibly could stop him there. I'm not saying they would, but Benavidez? I mean, Benavidez is a big, strong, physical kid that punches upstairs and downstairs. You know what I mean? He could get down there and and land a big shot. He could soften Gennady up upstairs and then get something off downstairs that hurts him. Um, I I don't know if Caleb Plant could do that or those guys, but I definitely think someone like Benavidez could. If Bevel could get down to 168 and wanted to fight Golovkin, perhaps he could do that. He's a strong uh, it's just a strong fighter. At 175, he doesn't hit quite as hard, but he could make 168. He'd be a power puncher at 168. So it also depends on how long Golovkin keeps fighting. You know, if he, I think he has, ugh, I think he has four more fights on that deal with the zone. So if he fights twice this year, twice next year, that's probably going to be right at the edge where he needs to walk away. If he decides to fight on past that, then the list of people that could hurt him or stop him gets longer. That's what happens, man. It's, it's part of being human, and also it's part of being a clean fighter. And Golovkin is a clean fighter. So uh, back to the preview for tomorrow night, guys. Uh, Daniel Roman going up against Mar- Marujan Akhmadyalev. So Roman, 27-2-1 with 10 knockouts. And Akhmadyalev, 7-0, 6 knockouts. And Uzbeki who now fights and lives out of California, and he's a southpaw. Uh, he brings a little something extra, extra element to this fight. Roman uh, defending his IBF and WBO super bantamweight titles. This is another one where I think that Akhmadiyalev is a very, very live dog. 2016 bronze medals in the Olympics. He lost to Rabasi Ramirez. Pretty good fighter, pretty good amateur fighter. So uh, no shame in that. Apparently had over 300 amateur fights, two seasons with the World Series of Boxing. So not a lot of experience yet as a professional boxer. But overall, on the world scene, he's got more experience than Roman. And he will bring that in the ring with him tomorrow night. So I saw a couple of you guys on the chat, I think, saying that Diaz is the favorite tomorrow night against, uh, against Farmer. If that's true... If that's true, then okay, then I take back what I said before. But I think in this fight, I'm pretty sure that Roman is the favorite, is the betting favorite over the Uzbeki kid. You know, I like Daniel Roman a lot. I've met him, spoke with him, his team. Um, When I I worked with Thompson Boxing briefly when I was still out in L.A., and through that I did a couple different broadcasts and stuff working with Daniel. Awesome kid. He's improved a lot 
but he's got his hands full in this fight. And this is another one where you could see an upset special here. On paper, Roman is the guy that should win. He's got the titles. He's traveled all around the world. He went to Japan to get the title, defended it. His unified titles in one of the fights of the year last year, one of the top 10 fight, maybe top five, actually, fights of 2019. A lot of momentum here. But this kid out of Uzbekistan, I'm just telling you guys, watch out for him. That is going to be the fight of the night. That fight will steal the show. Also, we have Jake Paul, Logan Paul's brother. I don't know if he's the older or younger brother. I couldn't care less. Going up against another guy I've never heard of, uh, Anisan Gibb. Anisan Gibb. I have no idea who these people are, but I looked, and Paul has like 20 million YouTube subscribers. Gibb only has like 2 million. I say only, like he has more YouTube subscribers than I'll ever have. But um, Paul, I guess, is the A-side here, the brand name. I don't I know nothing about these guys. Six rounds, cruiserweights. And then also, good-looking prospect here. We talked a little bit about this on Monday's show. I think when John Uden called in. Uh, Anthony Sims Jr., 20-0, 18 knockouts. The reason why his name really stands out to me, I saw him fight live last time in Chicago on October 12th, the night Patrick Day sustained injuries that ultimately killed him a few days later. It's just a night and a scene that I'll never forget. And the day before at the Fight Hotel, I talked a little bit to Anthony Sims. I I talked to several uh, people that were on that card. And um, very brief. It wasn't a big deal. But um, just you get to know people a little bit, and you get a sense of who they are and everything. And I like Anthony Sims Jr. a lot. I think he's got a lot of potential. Good-looking prospect. If you guys tune into this card, make sure you get in early enough to see him. It'll be worth it. Uh, he's definitely a kid to keep an eye on. But it just takes me back to that night in Chicago, which was just so unique and different than um, anything yet in my boxing media career. So, uh, yeah, anyway, guys, uh, one of you was on uh, hold here, and I'm sorry, but you dropped off. So call back. I'll continue with the fight preview. Guys, get on the line here, 213 213- 287-7787. As soon as you get on, I'll take the call. But I'm going to get right back into the preview. Uh, Friday, January 31st. And it's already the end of January. Holy shit. <laughs> January 31st. Uh, the vacant WBC cruiserweight title is on the line in the Republic of Congo. Lunga Makabu going up against Polish Michael Sizlak. I think I'm saying that. Sizlak. That's going to be a pretty good fight. I wish it was somewhere where we could see it, but if we could find that somewhere online, it'd probably be, probably be worth a look because uh, the cruiserweights always deliver, man. And I think this is a good matchup here. Polish kids got a real good chance, although he's fighting on the road. Also, uh, tomorrow or Friday night, Showbox card from Shreveport, Louisiana, headlined by Ruben Villa, 17-0 featherweight prospect out of Salinas, California, fighting a guy who lost – to Rod Selka. So, yeah, Villa's going to win this fight. Also, there's a Ukrainian welterweight prospect on there, uh, Taras. So, man. <laughs> Shalestyuk. Ta- Taras Shalestyuk. I hope I at least got close to that. And then Saturday, February 1st, there's a strawweight title fight from Guadalupe, Mexico. Austin Trout, remember him? He's fighting in New Mexico. That's his home state. An MTK Global card picked up by ESPN Plus from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Not really a good, strong card at all, but 
you guys, if you're a diehard degenerate junkie, you got ESPN Plus. There's that show from Northern Ireland you can watch. And PBC on FS1 from Biloxi, Mississippi. Headlined with Jordanis Ugas going up against Mike Dallas Jr., a welterweight fight. I like Ugas a lot. I think he has a lot of potential. I think he's still kind of sliding under the radar with a lot of people, with a lot of fans. You could definitely make an argument to meet, he beat Sean Porter when they fought. Was that last year? Early last year. I think it was in L.A. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was in L.A. And, um, look, I thought I was cool with Porter getting that decision, but Ugas was very competitive. So he's kind of like right there on the cusp of like the top five at welterweight. If you felt Ugas won, I'm cool with that too. It was one of those kind of fights, just depending on what you preferred. But I think that made Ugas better. I think he gained confidence in that fight, and I think he's improving. And kind of coming into his own, I see him posting more and more and more on social media. Uh, We've had some light interaction together, and it seems like he's just getting more comfortable in his own skin, settling in as an American. And I think all that is part of the confidence of him and what he's accomplished in the ring. You know, being very competitive, being very, very competitive with – with Porter in a fight that he was, you know, definitely not the favorite going in. So I, you know, check that fight too on um, FS1. Some of those FS1 cards are a lot of fun. All right, guys, let's get over to the YouTube chat. Reminder that the number is 213-287-7787. Oh, we got a call right here. Let's uh, jump on this. 818, you're on the neutral corner. What's going on? Hey, what's up, Mike? Glad to be on the phone with you, man. Um, just wanted to ask a couple, well, just a couple things actually that I've been um, thinking about a lot, bro. Um, so here's my thing. So when you know when you guys uh, interview fighters, right? Mm-hmm. I feel sometimes that you know that you guys don't push the fighters to certain questions, but yet again don't ask them. So for example, um, you know Tyson Fury was talking about. Hey, I won't fight Uzik because he has no name, or you know uh, he hasn't done anything. But yet he fights Wallene and Schwartz, right? right, right. So I'll go ahead and follow up. Be like, well, you fought Wallene and Schwartz. How come you're fighting Uzik? You know, is that like a rule to you guys when you guys are asking questions, or how does that work with you? It's not a rule. I know you. I know you. Uh, you know, I know you ask you know some t- some tough questions, and you know as far as that the whole PED that last time at the, at the press conference, I, I thought that was ballsy, bro, and. uh <laughs> Big ups to you. Appreciate that, man. Who is this, by the way? Well, they call me the GOAT from Ventura County, but I do by Alex. All right, (laughs) Alex, the GOAT from Ventura County. What's up, man? Uh, Thank you for calling. What's up, brother? And, um, yo, good question. And, actually, Lou DiBella has an interview on, I think it's on IFL, um, where he kind of talked about this a little bit. And it was actually, dude, I highly recommend it. Go out on YouTube and find that interview where Lou, Lou's just kind of letting it rip now. He's just an old cranky man and just letting it rip. But there are a lot of people in the fight media that are afraid to ask tough questions because you can get blacklisted and lose access. So, for example, you know, the, the, the fighter of the last generation was Floyd Mayweather Jr., right? He was the, he was the top American fighter, at least. And for years, guys like Doug Fisher, Steve Kim, asked really hard questions and they did it before I really got on the scene. As I started to get on the scene, I asked some hard questions, you know, when it is related to well before IV gate and all that, but 
dude, for Mayweather Pacquiao, the biggest fight of that generation, Doug Fisher was not allowed to cover that fight. Steve Kim was not allowed to cover that fight. People were flat out blacklisted. So you had no representatives from certain publications that are mainstream, you know, brand name boxing media publications at that fight simply because one side of the promotion did not want those people there. And that happens. It's unfortunate, but that happens in the sport. So a lot of people are afraid to ask questions. Um, I'm still a pup. You know, I'm still working my way up in the business. But one thing I've learned is sometimes it's the way you ask the question. And if, if you want to press somebody, do it when there's cameras and lights on because then they can't hide. They just can't get away. And I think um, that is something that people need to learn more. Like, I don't know if you saw when I talked to Bob Bennett one time, uh, right after uh, Canelo Golovkin, the first fight. But I knew the lights were on. I knew all the media was there. I knew everyone would see it. I knew Bob Bennett couldn't hide. That's when I pushed him. There were some other guys who kind of pushed him when the cameras were off in a real polite way. Well, he could hide. So sometimes it's, it's time and place. But, yeah, dude, a lot of it is having access. It's the same thing with politics, man, with these politicians and everything else. People are afraid to ask hard questions because you – you lose access, but um, there is no written rule. It's kind of an unwritten rule. It is what it is. <laughs> Survive in the chat says they might pull it to this day. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of interesting. For, for Deontay Wilder to pull that on Radio Raheem, who's been more than fair with him, I thought was kind of shitty. All right, dude, you dropped. The goat from Ventura County dropped. So, Alex, call back if you want, man. Great question, great call. All right, guys. Um, Let's get back over here to the YouTube chat. Oh, there he is. Okay, in the YouTube chat, he says, lost phone call, bad signal. Thanks, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Call back anytime, brother. All right, guys. A few of you have asked about this. Let me get this on record before I forget. International callers. Um, I'm I'm trying to work on a solution. So uh, UK guys, how many UK guys do I have on here? Because I have an opportunity. I can maybe add a local UK line to the show. It's going to be expensive. I'm going to have to pay a lot of money for it. But if enough of you UK guys will call in, I'll do it. I don't know how much an 800 number would benefit you a lot of you guys out there because, um, you know, if, if you're in the United States, if you have a cell phone, a smartphone, whatever, it doesn't really matter. 800 number or local number. 213 is a local Los Angeles number. That's what we're using. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing. So, you guys in Canada, you guys, some of you guys watch from Japan. I got, you know, guys from all over the world watching Australia. And I don't know what I can do to, uh, to make a solution here for international callers. So um, maybe in the future we can add a second line to this, okay? And what I'm thinking about doing, I see one of you guys, Lobster11 in the chat says, or use Google Voice. We might do something like that where we have uh, – you know, a different system where international callers can call in. That's going to require more technology, a more complicated setup that's going to take time to develop. And I know a large portion of the listeners of my show, probably the majority, are overseas. A lot of you guys uh, all over the world watch and listen to the show, more so than here in the USA. So I'm not forgetting you guys, you know, but – we're going to try to figure something out. We're going to try to get a solution together. For right now, it's the 213 number, and you guys can call in that way. For those of you who are international and you have Skype, 
you could call in through Skype, just call that number through Skype and it should work fine. So if you have Skype credits, you could call in that way. You know what I'm saying? It should work just fine. But uh, other than that, guys, you know, right now it's just going to be the local U.S. number. So I think we're good for tonight. We don't have any other calls on the line. I know a couple of you guys were on and the calls dropped before. So uh, if you want to call back real quick, get in there or we'll drop off. But, uh, yeah, we got the preview for tomorrow and this weekend. We talked about Jarrell Big Baby Miller. We talked about Bob Arum, more interested in watching MSNBC than protecting his fighter and winning a purse bid. I'd be so pissed off if I was Josh Taylor right now. But um, that's it, guys. We got a super chat pledge from Gideon P. He asked, how did I get my start in boxing media? Well, thank you very much, Gideon. And thank you, all you guys, uh, all the super chat pledges tonight and all your callers. Um, man, how did, I, how did I get started? You know, dude, it goes back probably over 15 years. I literally got started just blogging on the old school site, eastsideboxing.com. They had a chat room, like a forum, and you could go in there and people would chat about boxing, but then you could chat about all kinds of stuff. You know, it was, it was uh, just a fun place, and they would allow anyone to post articles. And Boxing News 24 does the same thing right now. And, yeah, anything goes there. It's not always the best grammar and all this kind of stuff. Not, it's not always the best sourced material, but I like the fact that sites like that exist because it gives fans a chance to post their opinions in the form of an article. And that's kind of what I started doing in the early, mid-2000s. And then when I moved to L.A. in 2009, I'd literally just be hanging out at gyms, training. I met some guys, and we talked boxing. And several guys were like, dude, you know your shit. You're good on a mic. You're good in front of a camera man, you should start covering fights. Like you should start getting press credentials. And I didn't know what the hell a press credential was. I honestly didn't. I was like, what the hell is it? I had to like Google what it was. But I had one guy was out of Texas and the World Series of Boxing was starting in Los Angeles. There was a team in LA for a few years, the LA Matadors. I've talked about this a few times in the past, but um, one of the guys I used to work out with, you know, and hang out with at the gyms and stuff, he was from Texas. One of the guys in the L.A. Matadors was from Texas. And there was a local fight magazine that focused mostly on amateur fighters from Texas. You guys have heard me talk about the Texas scene a lot. This is how I originally got plugged in to the Texas scene well before your establishment top A-lister boxing media players knew what the hell was going on in Texas at the amateur level. So they offered me credentials to cover the LA Matador fights, but focus on their guy, you know, do a feature piece on their guy. And they put it in their local magazine there in Texas. So I did that for a while and built my way up from there, dude. It, honestly, I have no journalistic training. Can you tell by the way I talk? <laughs> uh, when I first started writing, my articles were terrible, absolutely terrible. I found a few of them on eastsideboxing.com. Uh, like they have like an archive that I found and I just look at my grammar and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? I mean, they were so bad, but that's how you get better. And my advice to anyone trying to get into business now is just start writing, start posting. And now you guys have an advantage over people before you because you can break through on social media. You can build up social media profiles, you know, on Twitter, 
uh, Instagram is pretty big, but I think Twitter is really the boxing world's news source. It's, it's Twitter. And then, of course, YouTube. So you can build your way up there. But if you write articles and you write stuff that matters, I think that um, eventually you get noticed. And eventually in, in Los Angeles, I got noticed by a few people. And I got noticed by some folks in the UK, too. Mark Butcher with Boxing Monthly. I got put on that Boxing Monthly way before I got put on at Ring. I was writing articles for Boxing Monthly site, but I also started writing for the magazine, and I officially got published in an international magazine. I got some of Tiffany's photos that she took at some fights in the magazine. We did all kinds of great stuff with Boxing Monthly, and I remember taking that to Doug Fisher and be like, Doug, how am I getting opportunities from a UK magazine before an American magazine? And I was able to kind of use that to get on Ring's radar. If you guys remember Undisputed Champion Network with Steve Kim, he brought in a lot of young talent into, into uh, that platform. It's no longer around, but for a while we had a really good thing going there. So I just worked my way up, dude. And it's taken, I mean, it took 10 years in LA, but if you count five years or so of blogging back East before I moved to LA, it's been over 15 years I've been at this. But I'd say a good 10 years in Los Angeles uh, just figuring the shit out. And I learned what not to do, and I'm still learning what to do. I'm still kind of finding my voice in all that. So great question. Hope I didn't bore you guys with that story. But um, I kind of enjoy telling it because, you know, it, it's something that I didn't plan on. And um, it's something that I'm proud of. I'm really proud of because I didn't go to school for this. And I've kind of just figured it out as I went. I've made plenty of mistakes, plenty, and I'll make some more, I'm sure, but getting better every day. Uh, one last question here on the YouTube chat, and then we'll go, guys. Um, let's see. We have uh, Joe56984 who asks, hey, Mike, is Marcus Maidana broke or legitimately hungry to make a comeback? The key words in that question are legitimately hungry because the man likes to eat. I don't take this shit seriously, and I don't think he's broke. How can he be broke after all that money he made from Floyd Mayweather? That Those two fights, dude, where he lives, that money goes real far. He's good. He's leg legitimately hungry and legitimate, legitimately thirsty. He likes to drink, too. And uh, I don't believe in comeback talk. Oh, Super Chat Pledge from Andre says, Where do you think Loma versus Lopez will end up? Hoping I can go watch it live. I appreciate the Super Chat, man. Uh, I think that's probably going to happen uh, in New York, if I had bet. I think it's going to happen in New York. They need to go ahead and get that shit announced because that's like the biggest matchup of the year, in my opinion, in the first half of the year. I can't wait for that. But I, my guess would be New York. I hope it doesn't go to Vegas. Please, New York, because I'd love to go see that one live. All right, guys. Uh, we'll be back next Monday. So enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend. I'll see you at the fights.